0: edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 26th of March 2022 on Monocle 24. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up in the next half an hour, Latika Burke joins me to chat through the day's front pages. Plus, Andrew Muller looks back at the week.
1: UEFA had received a bid to host the 2028 European Football Championships from Russia. So we learned that we may have to rethink the popular stereotype of Russians as pessimists.
0: Thank you very much to Andrew. We'll hear much more from him later on in the programme. We'll also hear from our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. That's all ahead here on Monocle on Saturday on Monocle 24. First, though, here's the news. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has pushed for further talks with Russia as Moscow signalled it's scaling back its ambitions to focus on territory claimed by Russian-backed separatists in the east after attacks elsewhere stalled. Reframing Russia's goals may make it easier for President Vladimir Putin to claim a face-saving victory, military analysts said. With less than three weeks to go before the first round of voting, French President Emmanuel Macron has a comfortable lead in opinion polls, but there are concerns that his re-election campaign is failing to engage voters, with little new to enthuse them as the war in Ukraine overshadows domestic policy. Pollsters are warning that abstentions could reach a record level. And Yemen's Houthis said they launched attacks on Saudi energy facilities on Friday. And the Saudi-led coalition said oil giant Aramco's petroleum products distribution station in Jeddah was hit, causing a fire in two storage tanks but no casualties. A huge plume of black smoke could be seen rising over the Red Sea city, where the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is taking place this weekend, according to eyewitnesses. And that's your Monocle 24 News. Now it's time to have a look through this morning's papers and I'm pleased to say that joining me is Latika Burke who's a journalist with the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Good morning to you Latika. Good morning Georgina. Uh, Of course Ukraine is what's dominating all the papers still and rightly so but this story is um, from The Guardian. Uh, (laughs) Mutinous Russian troops run over their own commander. What? <laughs> Say Western officials. Yes. Yeah. Georgina, obviously this morning,
2: the front pages are all dominated uh, mostly by Ukraine and the war effort there and this big shift from the Russian military saying that they're now going to actually focus and prioritise the Donbass region in the east of Ukraine. Now, many are interpreting that, Georgina, as a sign of Russia actually uh, re, uh, resetting its military op- operation. It realises that it's failed to take Ukraine in the way it wanted Um the whole country. So it's now going to concentrate its attack and its force on the east. So many are reading that as a as a clear decline of Russia's um, uh, operations, but it also does show that they will concentrate their forces in the east. So that's going to be a very worrying time for Ukraine uh, in trying to hold off or fend off um, a complete Russian takeover there. But let's go to this really interesting story in The Guardian today. It's written by Dan Sabah, a defence and security editor with The Guardian. Now, Western officials, anytime you see this, this um, sign, Western officials, uh, they are either US or British uh, intelligence officials. They can be government officials, but in the intelligence space. And they are giving some very, very excellent detailed briefings to the media throughout this whole military campaign. And I must say, it is really Really useful and it is really, really great to see the West being, uh, using its openness and its transparency to try and counter some of what Russia is doing here. And this report's particularly interesting because it comes off the back of four generals already having been killed on the battlefield. Now we think that a total of Russian generals being killed is around seven. Yesterday, there's this report that emerges that a colonel or a Russian commander was actually run over by his own side as the bitter uh, fallout from how they have gone so spectacularly, uh, terribly on the ground in Ukraine is eating away at the morale in the forces. Georgina, it's not really a surprise that the Russian morale is this low, but it is a surprise to get this Level of a uh, a mutiny reported to us almost in real time, but this interesting um, article from Dan Sabah then goes on to say, by late Friday night, after this briefing has been given by Western officials, there's actually some suggestion that this colonel is not dead. He was run over. He uh, has been shown on film uh, by a Chechen leader uh, who has uh, and a close ally of Vladimir Putin actually interviewing say- him, saying, "Are you okay?" And he's and this commander says, yeah, I'm alive. The point, however, is not whether he is alive or dead. The point is that he is in hospital, taken out of the battlefield by his own side. And something that's not necessarily included in this article, but it has come from Western officials before Georgina, is the fact that the reason why we're seeing so many colonels, generals, commanders being wounded, killed or taken out by their own in this case is actually a testament to how low and rock bottom morale is is in the Russian military. The generals themselves are having to go to the front line to scout uh, these missions, to lead these missions. This is unheard of. And that shows you the
0: state of the Russian operation. Mm, the, the, the rank and file soldiers just don't want to do it anymore, it would appear.
2: Yeah, and I mean, everyone, you know, uh, the the intelligence briefings are actually quite downbeat of, of recent days and weeks, and they are saying we look like we're about to settle into something quite intractable here. This is going to go on and on, and I think there has been a little bit of a mood in Western media for a happy ending. People have rallied around Volodymyr Zelensky, this very charismatic and charming leader, hoping for a Churchillian outcome, and I think we do have to kind of reset on our own expectations here about how this war is going. But these sorts of stories do offer a glimmer of hope because if the Russian force can't be reunited, if uh, Putin is forced to conscript an army in a new battle, you know, there's reports that 75% of those troops that were amassed on the border all those many weeks and months ago when, remember, Volodymyr Zelensky was telling us in the West, please stop panicking the world about my country because you're going to ruin our economy. Uh, Hey, press. Russia invades, but as we know, Georgina, it's just gone so terribly wrong for them.
0: Mm. Uh, there was an excellent piece in The Guardian yesterday by the Ukrainian writer uh, Andrei Kirchhoff and he was talking about uh, the complete cultural decimation of the country, how obviously works of art um, have either been hidden or they're waiting to be shipped out. He's been talking about how uh, intellectuals and writers are being targeted. Apparently, Russian soldiers have lists. They've been going around looking for specific people uh, and really how how the, cult- the very culture of the country is going to have to be built back up again after all of this.
2: Yes, and that's very deliberate Um, and a couple of things to say here. One, in Mariupol where the theatre was attacked, where they had clearly written in big Russian writing outside on the parking lot uh, children inside, don't bomb us. Of course Russia saw that and went, hey, we've got a great target here, bombed it, killed 300 people 300 more survived. But they were essentially women and children sheltering from um, a, a Russian attack and deliberately targeted. I mean, it's an absolutely horrific war crime. These symbols, the theatre, are are very, very deliberate targets of Russia. And Volodymyr Zelensky very interestingly told the Israeli Knesset uh, last week, you of all people know what it's like to have somebody wanting to erase your entire culture. That's what Putin is trying to do to us. And a lot of that of course is trying to crush this morale. You know, the Ukrainians have what the Russians don't, which is extraordinary morale and spirit. And if Putin can crush that in any way and try and wear down this Ukrainian spirit that we've seen and by targeting their icons, by targeting their culture, targeting them and what makes them, um, that's another war tactic and we should be very alive to that.
0: Absolutely. Latika, do stay with me. We're going to cross over to our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck now, to hear what he's been up to this week.
3: I saw another report this week warning of the dangers of becoming a parent later in life. Apparently, men who wait until their 40s to become dads risk giving their children genetic disorders and developmental problems from dwarfism to cleft palate. Maybe, but. My parents already had three daughters and had lost a son when my mum became pregnant again. She was 45, my dad, 50. From what my sisters later told me, one of them had already left home at this stage, the news was not a moment of celebration, but luckily my parents rolled with it. And here I am, with numerous quirks and endless personal failings, none of which I can sadly land on my parents. So here's what I know about having older mums and dads. It was great. They knew how to navigate life, they were grounded, They allowed this accident to shape their lives. They were at a stage in life when long walks, trips to the beach, tending the garden, were more their thing. And they had gifted me much of this too. In their later years, they allowed parenting to ease into something even richer, proper friendship. I didn't have them in my life as long as my sisters did, but no harm was done by them being older parents. So if you're contemplating this, Just go for it. Well, in case you've got nothing else better to do this afternoon. Tom Edwards, head of radio, has two young sons. Both had in his youthful prime. And last week, each of them drew a picture of him. One depicted him as a version of Superman. The other sketch was harder to work out. What am I doing here? Tom asked his son. Taking the bins out, explained his boy. Good to know what your children see in you. I try to get back to everyone who has a question about Monocle, a comment, or a complaint. Last weekend, someone wrote to say that my waywardness with pronouns in my copy was shocking and off-putting. Another person was angered that we had told you about Monocle's 15th anniversary party when there was a war raging in Ukraine. Now, on the pronouns, she is correct. Perhaps I could blame this on developmental issues from having older parents. Because sometimes in this column, I do get, well, a little casual in my tone and break some grammatical rules. And should we have told you about the party? Well, actually, yes, I think we should have done. But while consensus is great and I'm happy to explain how we came to editorial decisions, sometimes you wonder what people see when they read Monocle. Twice now, people have raised with me that we have writers with Russian names. One asking what their connections are back in the motherland. One person said she would no longer read Monocle's newsletters. So, that's one good thing that's happened this week. And then, another email. This one is from a Ukrainian living in Sweden, thanking Monocle for all our coverage of what's been happening in his country. But it's the picture that he's attached that hits me. It's a photograph taken by a friend of his, who's an entrepreneur and also a local politician in Kyiv, and on top of a copy of our book, How to Make a Nation, sits a gun. We've never been naive about how nations are made and secured. It's why Monocle has since issue one covered defense issues, embedded with armies, visited arms fairs. Still. It's sobering to see a celebration of soft power, diplomacy, national branding, sitting with a potent emblem of the need for this to be backed up by hard power too. It's the kind of letter to the editor that makes you realize how extraordinary and demanding people read Monocle. And finally, next weekend, and that includes me and Tyler. Are my pronouns in the right place? will be in San Moritz for the Monocle Weekender. It kicks off on the Friday and runs all the way through to the Sunday morning with talks, walks, dancing and plenty of time to debate everything happening in the world. Join us. You can head to monocle.com to find out what's in store.
0: Can tell you more about what's in store because I'll be there and one of the centrepieces of the whole weekend is an interview uh, live in person with uh, Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer who is a Dutch writer. His book is The Grand Hotel Europa and it is a love story but it's also a, a, a wonderful book about the future and indeed the past of Europe and where we're going now, what is European identity and so on uh, and to Andrew's point uh, Latika about whether we should actually be talking about parties and having fun at this time of such awfulness in the world i think there are a couple of things to say there are always awful things in the world it's relative but but of course we need to 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 balance these things uh, and uh, undoubtedly what's going on in ukraine is terrible but that cannot be all of our coverage and as you were just uh, commenting there there is a danger don't you think that that people are actually going to stop caring or or stop reading about what's happening in ukraine yes and
2: i don't think it's because they've stopped sympathizing with ukraine but it's because the incremental nature and the volume of material coming out of Ukraine is something they can no longer meaningfully make sense of. You know, people can make sense of an invasion. They can see the tanks coming in. They see that. They can see a big strike. They understand big events. But as this probably settles into something much more intractable, perhaps an insurgency style of warfare, I think we are probably going to approach very soon, if not already, a moment where the public is incapable of being able to digest small attacks, what that means in its context and how that uh, what that says overall about how the overall mission is going. And that's why I think you know look, remembering back to George Bush's uh, Bush's big you know mission accomplished, and of course it wasn't, I think there's this desire that we have to tie things up with a bow presented at the end and, and what I was referring to earlier with this idea that Zelensky is such a great character and he will ultimately prevail because we couldn't contemplate him not pre- prevailing, which is actually something that Boris Johnson says. But, you know, it's 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 been one month now since the war began and I had this exact same conversation with my boyfriend the other night. We were looking at things to watch and I just said, you know, it's been one month today and I feel guilty that I'm here, sitting here, flicking through the TV, looking for something to take my mind off my work today, because it's been another awful day of looking at terrible things. And those people in Ukraine are still fighting for their lives. They're being starved out of their cities if they're surviving at all. I mean, it's horrific, but what can we meaningfully do? I mean, uh, the contribution we are called to make, I think many British people are doing exactly what they can do, and they would love to be able to do more. But there's more than 100,000 people in Britain who have offered to take in people into their own homes. Mm. This is an extraordinary gesture. I don't think that's ever really happened before. I mean, I guess you could say the Second World War, when people Mm. took in other people's children, but this didn't happen for foreigners. Yeah. So... I think that it's present on our minds in one way. Yes, it will slip in another, but I don't think the overriding forces that, uh, you know, bring our sympathies in line with the Ukrainians and their plight is, is going to disappear.
0: Yeah. Now, the other thing that Andrew picked up on was uh, criticism of his use of pronouns. Well, of course, somebody who's got herself repeatedly in hot water about this is J.K. Rowling, and, uh, the, who's obviously central to the whole trans debate. Uh, and she's now uh, been referenced by Vladimir Putin. Tell us about this story in The Telegraph. Well, this is fascinating. So, yesterday, Vladimir
2: Putin, in his latest. Uh, rant, some may, may say, in his latest uh, rambling speech, others might call it, uh, hosted a bunch of Russian artists. Now, of course, you've got to remember, anytime we're talking about Vladimir Putin speaking, this is all carefully choreographed. Uh, no, no level of dissent is tolerated. You know, this is all basically show. It's not like if Boris Johnson went to a school or was confronted by some left-leaning artists here in London, he might get a, a cop a few blows about Brexit or whatever. But This is not going to be the case in in Russia. So Putin starts this speech and then says to these artists, actually, the West is trying to cancel us, Russia, and our cultural and artistic heritage, just as they in the West are trying to do to J.K. Rowling. Now, she Rowling has been very vocal, and has this has earned her enormous criticism. I might say, virtually quarantine quarantined to Twitter and social media, where a lot of these debates angrily take place, but it's not really in the mainstream. Um, and J.K. Rowling is very adamant that people should not be using trans rights to erase women's rights. And she has specifically and repeatedly said uh, she does not want, uh, she's not a transphobe, but she just thinks that we should not be referring to people as people who menstruate. Um, They have a word, it's women, and they have a gender and a sex and a biological sex. Now, that in some spaces is a very controversial thing to say. And so we have seen attempts on social media to cancel JK Rowling Interestingly, no one has. No one um, has taken her books off the shelves. She's a bit too big to cancel. So Putin's criticism here is falling a little bit flat because Rowling is not quite cancelled. It's true some have turned their backs on her, including Emma Watson, who played Hermione Granger in the films and is a big superstar. And I was at the BAFTAs a couple of weeks ago and Emma Watson was on stage making very uh, oblique references to this. So, yes, it is true some of this is happening. Um, And Putin makes this speech because what has been happening since the invasion is that people have been taking their anger out on Putin on Russian artists, whether historical or contemporary. We saw Oprah remove a Russian book from her book club. We have seen uh, ballets cancelled uh, or performances by the Bolshoi Theatre. We saw in Munich, the conductor uh, fired, but It's important to note there that he was fired because he would not denounce the invasion and he's a friend of Putin's and he was asked specifically, do you support this invasion? And he couldn't give uh, the answer, no, I don't. So he was asked to leave. And I think that's a bit different. Whether, you know, removing Tolstoy or Tchaikovsky from our uh, diets of of culture on the weekends, whether that's going to really have any meaningful effect on the Russian invasion, I really doubt it. So Putin does have somewhat of a point there. But the best, I think, answer on all of this is made by J.K. Rowling herself, because, of course, she's not shy of giving her opinion. Her response, Georgina, was immediate, and she said, quote, Critiques of Western cancel culture are possibly not best made by those currently slaughtering civilians for the crime of resistance or who jail and poison their critics. End quote. And I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful response because really at what's at heart here is that great art in Russia happens in spite of, of Putin and that regime. Great art and big debates, as ugly, sometimes stupid as we might think they can be in the West happen because that is essential to who we are and we're allowed to do that with out any fear. Mm. And so you know, I can see what Putin is trying to do here and Interestingly, this is a big uh, bugbear of of Russia and China. They have very much observed the West cancel culture, which really has taken root in America much more than in Britain and certainly much more than in Australia, and said this is a sickness in democracy. This is actually poisoning the West from inside. If we sit tight and stoke some of these divisions, we're hunky-dory and then we can stage our military operations and grab what we want while the West is too busy arguing with itself about gender neutral toilets. To a degree, some of that critique is right. But look what's happened. As soon as uh, the test was applied, I think the West showed itself more than capable of being able to one have those debates and two uh, responding kind when it needed to
0: yeah absolutely although i mean i think it's also true that we were talking earlier about ukraine's uh, culture being erased what we're also seeing is is wonderful russian culture also being erased i mean we mustn't forget that 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 putin is not russia uh, and and that that so many so many russians and so many of those great artists uh, you, you know absolutely don't support this war although uh, of course that there, there have been some shocking and of of writers and artists, as including the, the yes, conductor you mentioned, exactly doing that. Um, so Putin's uh, false equivalence, if you like, between you know Harry, Harry Potter uh, and 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 his own country uh, to Boris Johnson and his um, comparison of Brexit and the war in Ukraine. Let's hear what Andrew Muller has to say about that. <laughs>
1: We learned this week that a divided nation narrowly voting to leave an economic and customs union because an amount of its citizens don't like foreigners very much, and a nation unifying to mount a heroic armed resistance in an existential struggle against a predatory invader are literally exactly the same thing. We learned this because UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. <laughs> Pace yourselves, because UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said this out loud in public where people could hear him. I know that it's the instinct of the people of this country, like the people of Ukraine, to choose freedom every time. I can give you a couple of famous recent examples. When the British people voted for Brexit in such large numbers, I don't believe it was because they were remotely hostile to foreigners. It's because they wanted to be free, to do things differently, and for this country to be able to run itself. Well, quite. We learned that among the very many people not having this honking (laughs) nonsense was Ukraine's former president, Petro Poroshenko, who was manning a sentry post and wearing a khaki flak jacket, along with an expression of incredulous exasperation, when he retorted thus. Oh,
0: many citizen of united kingdom died
1: because of brexit zero can you imagine how many ukrainians died before they met putin aggression thousands can i ask you how many houses were destroyed because of the brexit and we have the whole cities which were completely erased We learned, however, that Boris Johnson was not the only public official experiencing a measure of difficulty keeping things in perspective. We learned that the mayor of Mondorf-les-Bains, which is apparently a real town, in Luxembourg, which is apparently a real country, had been embroiled in a controversy over a bust in a park commemorating Yuri Gagarin, the cosmonaut who became the first person in space back in 1961. Some local burghers believe that in light of events, the statue should be removed, despite it being hotly debatable how much responsibility is really borne for Russia's invasion of Ukraine by a Soviet Air Force colonel who has been dead for 54 years. While the mayor was unsold on the point of removing the monument, he decided to cover it to deter vandals. Do we have a sound effect that sounds like a statue being wrapped in a tarpaulin? Seriously, if the British Podcast Awards don't bite this year, screw them. Anyway, this action has since been both celebrated and damned as an act of censure, and speaking with rare but commendable honesty, the mayor told agog local media that he no longer knows what is right or wrong, and the man would doubtless be grateful for some general muttered agreement at this difficult time. Yeah, But the mayor of Mondorf-Laban is scarcely alone because we continue to learn that one does not need to be a subscriber to the snivelling self-pity currently masquerading as so very much Russian diplomacy to believe that some expressions of indignation at Russia's current atrocious behaviour are rather parting company with the plot, often prompting 180-degree handbrake reversals we learned that an Italian university had postponed and then abruptly unpostponed a course in the lengthy and glum novels of Fyodor Dostoevsky, who, while indisputably Russian, breathed his last in 1881 and at any rate was not a noted fan of Russian authoritarianism and served four years on the Siberian salt pile to prove it.
3: he's too old to cut the mustard anymore.
1: And we learned that a similar brouhaha had consumed the United States National Mustard Museum in Middleton, Wisconsin, which, we learned when we looked it up on TripAdvisor, is rated the number one thing to do in Middleton, Wisconsin, presumably just ahead of lying down on the railway tracks. (laughs) big hello to our listeners in Middleton, Wisconsin. What happened was this. Early in the current war, the National Mustard Museum acted decisively, removing from display their collection of Russian mustards and replacing them with a sign bearing the following explanation, as will now be read by Monocle 24's cancelled condiments desk chief, Carlotta Ribello.
0: The Russian Mustards have been temporarily removed. They will return once the invasion of Ukraine is over and Russia recognizes and respects the sovereign nation of Ukraine.
1: We learned that this proved, incredibly, insufficient to budge the thinking of President Vladimir Putin, but that it was plenty enough to earn the National Mustard Museum a cacophony of derision from online chortlers and or whimsical news monologues, as a consequence of which we learned the Russian Mustards have now been returned to their case we cannot tell you precisely where we learned the details of this relish-related row, as we, like all good reporters, would never betray our sources. And we learned that despite all the above, and despite the reasons for all of the above, UEFA had received a bid to host the 2028 European Football Championships from Russia. So we learned that we may have to rethink the popular stereotype of Russians as pessimists. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Muller.
3: He's too old to cut the mustard anymore.
0: Thank you very much to Andrew Muller. Well, we've been trying to find a segue out of that. And really, we've settled on sports. <laughs> <laughs> the sport of the Solomon Islands, to be specific. So we've been madly Googling sport in Solomon Islands. They're very good at football. It is, in fact, the national sport. Uh, rugby Union is also big there. They are a big, in fact, a big sporting nation. Not that one would know it. It's not. Well, certainly we didn't.
2: No, although um as an Australian, certainly the Pacific Islanders are extremely good at um, football, and, and I'll use my Australian language there of football being uh, the um the longer uh, ball, so rugby league here. So no, I, I, i've we've known that they're good at sports, but perhaps we didn't know that if they were dominant in any international sporting. Yeah. kind of competitions.
0: Okay, so now we've got to link sport back to the Solomon Islands and Ooh. onto this, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> onto this line, line Oh, oh <laughs> I know. And could the Solomon Islands
2: feel the wrath of sporting organisations if they proceed with this very controversial deal? I don't uh, know. I excellent. don't know.
0: Tell us about this very controversial okay, deal. Okay,
2: well, well, this is actually fascinating. So while the world is looking at Russia, China and the Solomon Islands, tiny Pacific nation, um, decide to sign or draft this agreement, uh, a security agreement. This would put or allow the Chinese to park their warships in the Solomon Islands. For Australians, that means Chinese warships within striking distance of the Australian mainland. And it would also spell the most enormous upset in the Pacific. I guess maybe one way to put it... For a British person, might be if Russian warships were allowed to park there, um, if the Russians were allowed to park their warships, say on the Faroe Islands or around Iceland or something like that. It is right there; it's in your eye line, and there is no mistaking what that intention or threat is about. This is a very concerning development. Um, domestically, it doesn't look settled. There were riots on the Solomon Islands a, a while back. This was related actually to the Solomon Islands government getting too close to China and a domestic backlash against that. The fact that this draft agreement has leaked at all suggests not all is well in within the Solomon Islands government and uh, that this has been leaked as a preemptive strike to try and kill this security agreement. Australia is extremely, extremely concerned. I cannot stress to you what a threat this is to Australia and how this is being perceived. And so they have made it very, very clear to the Solomon Islands that this is not something that they should be proceeding with. New Zealand has also given the same message. And there are a couple of concerning threads to tease out here, Georgina, because... Look, let's just say this doesn't go ahead. The Solomon Islands will see sense. They will understand what a threat they are placing the entire Pacific region in, including Australia, but also their tiny neighbours who are are vulnerable. Um, But there's a couple of things to to tease out. One, Australia's dominance in the Pacific was always considered that Australia looks after the Pacific. Uh, The British, in terms of the the Western alliance or the Anglo alliance, the British would look after Africa and then America looks after its patch, right? Right. Australia's influence in the region is seriously up for grabs or it's in competition with China. Australia's cut its aid program enormously. It still does fund the bulk of it in the Pacific, but it has scaled it back to historic lows. China has seen this. China has been going around to the Pacific Islands for many, many years now, giving them loans, building them ports, building them infrastructure, giving them money. Um, We know in Australia that they have given large donations to politicians, so we would suspect that sort of foreign influence in these tiny nations as well. And what it's doing is buying what we call client states and lots of the Pacific are now regarded as potential, if not client states, for China. And we are trying desperately as Australia to win this back. We're building huge internet cables, for example, to Pacific Islands. We've helped them with their vaccines and, and actually gave them loads of AstraZeneca. And that was good for us because they didn't want the lesser uh, effective Chinese vaccines. But you can see here this enormous struggle going on. It looks to me with what Solomons is doing is the Solomons is placing a big bargaining chip on the table and saying, okay, Australia and China, let's fight it out. Australia can never outspend China on this. Mm. So we do have to use some other leverage here in terms of the relationship and, and hopefully get more people on our side. But it is very worrying for Australia if the other Pacific nations were to look at what the Solomons has done and go, you know what, we can hold Australia to ransom or the West to ransom by threatening security deals with China and we can get a lot of um, goods and and goodies and money and and stuff out of there without doing much ourselves on our own governance. So it's extremely worrying on so many levels what's happened in in the Solomons here. And if people have been distracted by Russia, I would really say take a look at how this story uh, develops because it's really, really critical to the future of the tilt that we're going through.
0: Latika, thank you very much indeed. That's all we've got time for, unfortunately, but many thanks to, to Latika Burt for, for joining us. Thanks also to our studio engineer, Chris Blakwa, and to our producer, Marcus Hiffy. I'm Georgina Godwin, and Monocle on Saturday will return at the same time next week. Thanks for listening.